Happy Monday, my Liberty Kitty Cats. Welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I got to tell you about another amazing podcast. This is called the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and it's hosted by our good friend, Johnny Perfita. I interviewed him just a couple of weeks ago. He's an awesome dude, and he's chilling out in Puerto Vallarta right now. I can't say I blame him. I can say I'm very jealous, but you got to check out this podcast because Johnny has a real knack for breaking down all of the fictions peddled by politicians and by your friends and neighbors. Uh, phrases such as taxation is theft. No, it's not, you fool. <laughs> uh, he can break down this stuff so well. He also did a really great breakdown of everything going on with the election. Guys, you have got to check out the Peddling Fiction podcast and stay tuned at the end of this podcast for a very special preview. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. My guest today is a globe-spanning digital nomad, having traveled throughout more than 50 countries over the last 15 years. She has helped over 1,000 people relocate to more than 25 countries around the world. You can find her work over at TravelingWithKristen.com. She's also the host of the Badass Digital Nomads podcast. I'm super excited to welcome Kristen Wilson. Kristen, are you ready to roar? I'm ready. You don't know this, but my sorority mascot was a lion, and I just ah, thought of that for the first right. time in many, many years. <laughs> right at this moment. Yep. It's the synergy. The synergy's been there the whole time. We just didn't know it till now. <laughs> uh, so you're used to roaring. That's good. And I know you've been out there uh, traveling the world, roaring about what you do, about your passion in life, which is you know traveling, working remotely, and helping other people uh, that want to do the same thing. And you know, one thing I, I've been trying to do with this program this year is to help provide my listeners with you know with the tools, with ideas, with inspiration to potentially help them with a shift in mindset and ultimately help them live their best life, whatever that may be. Because you know we talk a lot about philosophy here, and the philosophy of freedom is one thing. But if you're not exercising that freedom in your own life, uh, you know the philosophizing is nothing more than a hobby. And you know I I, I really want my listeners ultimately to not just philosophize, although that's important. Uh, you have to have a direction. You have to know why you're doing things in life, but to also, you know, take action and, and find a way to make themselves as free as possible. And that is something you have certainly been doing, uh, having traveled the world and worked remotely for so long. Uh, so I want I just want to start learning a little bit more about your journey. How did this all start for you? How did you first get hooked on traveling and get your and work your way into this digital nomad life? Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm glad you're doing this. And I'm glad that so many people are creating content now and that we're getting basically an infinite number of different voices about how to go about living your best life and everyone's approaching it from a different angle. So it's such a cool time to be alive. And I guess which, which a lot of people would be surprised to hear during a, a pandemic year. But uh, <laughs> in many ways, you know, wh where there's tragedy, where there's difficulty, there's also opportunities. And I think a lot of a lot of people this year are seeing, well, maybe the traditional way of looking at things wasn't working. So maybe I am looking for a new opportunity, a new way to look at things. Yeah, you know, you kind of have to break down old paradigms to make a new one. And um, that's what's going on right now. But people can approach what's happening from a lot of different ways. And a lot of my listeners and subscribers, they, they tell me that they like my perspective because it's realist, but it's also optimistic and positive. And for people who are philosophers, you know, modern day philosophers or, or research that sort of thing and want to live their best lives, they know that there's things you can control and there's things that you can't control. And so the more you focus on the external that you can't control, the crazier it's going to 
drive you. So you might as well just make the best of it and choose a better outlook and a better perspective and go from there because you're the one that has to live in your own head and in your own reality. So that's what I've chosen. We we can't control a pandemic. We can't control how governments respond to it, uh, but we can control how we react to it. Exactly. And uh, I guess my story started when I think back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And we're always trying to understand who we are in this world, what our purpose is, where we're going, like what we're doing here. And there's all different levels of that. But when I look back, I think the best way that I can describe it is kind of like a paradox or I don't know. I, I, I was very outgoing in a way. And I had a lot of friends. I was like, the president of this club and that club and like homecoming court and prom court and oh, you were that captain girl, huh? and like I was that girl <laughs> She's but the I was head of everything jeez <laughs> thanks mom and dad like forced <laughs> me to join all these different clubs and sports but then I was also a severe loner like I'm so introverted and anytime I do anything out in the world with people I need like seven to ten days to recuperate from that like if it's an event or a conference or something so I had this dynamic going on throughout childhood that I didn't really understand because I'm like I I seem to fit in in this you know American middle-class public school society but then on the other hand I was like running away from home climbing trees (laughs) going off into the woods like (laughs) by myself you know that sense of adventure was there pretty early on huh Yeah. And I think the first time that I realized how comfortable I was being like doing my own thing was my fifth grade field trip to the Florida Keys. And all of the kids in my class were lined up at the payphone because this was back in the, I don't know, 80s or 90s, I guess. So everybody was lined up to call their parents because they were homesick and we had just gotten off the bus. And I was like, (laughs) screw this. And I went and swam with sharks in this little pond. (laughs) By yourself, um, unsupervised. (laughs) (laughs) All right, have fun calling your parents, guys. I'll be over here. Yeah, and I was just like, well, you know, I love my family. I love my parents, but like, let's embrace where we are. And so that kind of spirit of adventure was always with me. So I tried to straddle this normal life of going to school and going to college and getting good grades and making sure that my resume looked good with activities and things like that. But then I was also a competitive surfer. And so from since I was a teenager, my friends and I would be like driving through Mexico and going to Puerto Rico and going on all these crazy adventures. And so I would just save all of my money uh, to travel. And, and then when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so all I knew was that I liked travel. So I applied to study abroad programs and I ended up doing that twice. And it was like from the first day I got off the plane in Costa Rica in 2002. Well, the first day I cried because I was so scared. But then after that, once I realized how cool it was to live in different countries, it was like, I'm never going back. And so- Was that a study abroad in in Costa Rica? Yep, that was a study abroad in 2002. And then I did another semester in Australia after that. That sounds way uh, cooler than mine, which was in Manchester, England, which was awesome, by the way. It was an amazing experience, uh, but you know, Costa Rica sounds sounds better. Well, my parents thought I was going to get abducted, but England probably would have been more uh, like a safer bet. I actually wanted to go to Italy because that's where my grandma immigrated from. But um, I got a scholarship with the Rotary Foundation. And so I was basically a cultural ambassador 
in oh, wow. Costa Rica and they assigned me to Costa Rica. So I could have been sent anywhere in the world and I wanted to go to Europe, but that was where I ended up, learned Spanish. And then after college, I moved back to Costa Rica to take a job in real estate. And so it was basically like my undergrad years were spent studying abroad and studying international business and also how to relocate corporate executives to different countries. So I studied international human resources and then my career was in real estate. And then after seven years of doing real estate in Costa Rica and Nicaragua and Panama, and just basically taking a crash course in how to be an expat and live in different countries, I had gathered all of these skills on how to help other people do it. So I started a relocation company in 2011 which is specifically to help online poker players and sports bettors. <laughs> it's like another long story. It's called Poker Refugees. And I've been doing that for nine years now. And then living all around the world. You weren't running like a Molly's game type situation, were you? <laughs> no, but I have had Sadly some not. movie producers contact me to get inside scoop or dirt on how that all went down. But um, I don't actually play poker. I just do the logistics for Neither did she. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just. I just organizer. watched that movie, so it's on she's my mind. The, she's the Madame of Poker or whatever. Uh, but at some point, I realized, okay, I'm like basically, you know, I'm living my best life. I'm in these different countries. I'm making good money. I'm helping people escape America. But I kind of felt like, okay, maybe I'm being too much of a loner. I should share what I know. And I'm living in this age of technology, so I decided to, to start basically sharing everything that I know how to do with the internet. So I started learning how to make YouTube videos. I started a podcast. I started writing on a blog and on Medium. And I'm still doing relocation. So I'm still helping people from different countries, like all around the world, move to different countries for whatever their reasons are. You could have any reason or no reason at all. I just want people to be able to experience what it's like living in a different country and get out of the shackles of their society wherever they're from and live in their own way. And so I've just basically created this weird job where I help people do that directly and indirectly <laughs> through my content. And every skill you mentioned uh, right there, writing, uh, creating YouTube videos, creating podcasts, every single thing you mentioned can be done with nothing more than a laptop. I guess you need a microphone too, other than that. So, I mean, for people that get intimidated and think, you know, I, I can't do this or that, I, I don't have X, Y, or Z skill, there are things you do in your everyday life that you don't even necessarily think of as, as a skill that is. I mean, so many people that I know that might think they don't have skills with maybe an hour of, of, of prodding along uh, could do just about everything. Not that podcasting is easy or editing videos is easy, but it's, it's something everybody is capable of doing with something that they most likely already own. Yeah, there's something very wrong with the school system. This is probably a topic for a different podcast, but... Oh, no, this is definitely uh, the, t the topic for this podcast, trust me. <laughs> or, <laughs> right, and like, it doesn't really have to do with travel, but if I wasn't doing this, I would have a school of life, like mm -hmm. how do you adult in the world and just basically unlearn everything you learned and then relearn things a different way. I don't have kids or anything, but if I did, I'd probably put them in like a weird school or like a Waldorf school or homeschool. But right. basically something's wrong where everybody gets out of the public or private school system. And it's like we're playing hooky for the rest of our lives when really the school system should prepare us to want to keep learning and expanding and growing. But it's like by the time we get out of school, everybody's really burnt out and has memorized a bunch of useless information. And then we just drone on into the workforce 
and it's like, that's it. When we should have been learning things the opposite way, we should have been able to follow our interests, follow our curiosities and passions. And so the first 10 years that I lived abroad was basically like a, a pause for a few years where I realized that my worldview was wrong in a lot of ways and limited in a lot of ways and that I had basically been a little bit propagandized and brainwashed by the U.S. Maybe and then I had bit. to, Yeah, a little bit. And then I had to replace that with a new belief system that I felt was more objective and real and grounded in reality. And so that it took basically like a good seven to 10 years of just giving myself my own education through travel and through reading books and then the internet, of course. And, um, and so basically when people are afraid to try new things because the school system has set us up in a way that we don't want to <laughs> because it's painful. Um, but if anybody's out there listening and they have thought of doing something, but they're like, oh, I'm too old or I don't know how to do that or whatever, I've been on this binge of trying new things. And the first camera I bought was a GoPro Hero Session. It's like a little square and it only has one button on it. And I didn't even know how to turn it on or off or record. I didn't have a microphone for almost two years. I didn't even know you needed a microphone to record audio <laughs> separately from the camera. Like, what do you mean? And, uh, <laughs> this thing it has this button, so I should be good, right? Yeah. So I started from absolutely zero and I've done that with a few things. And once you get going and you spend a few hours learning something and you, you stick with it for even a couple months and you get through that really awkward, painful s stage, you might discover that you're really talented at something even, or even if you're not, like I love electronic music and I learned how to DJ, but it took me two years of like stumbling along through YouTube tutorials and like buying my own CDJ and, and like taking two years Udemy of clubs courses. emptying out. <laughs> right. Well, by the time I was good enough to play in clubs, the pandemic happened. So I'm going to have ah, to wait. Maybe timing. I'll do some live streams, but it didn't come naturally to me at all. Like there's people that could just probably learn in two hours and be like good DJs. But yeah, if you like something, just keep doing it and eventually you'll get there. I mean, the topic about the school system comes up on the show a lot because, you know, the system as it's designed, quite literally as it's designed, it's not a conspiracy. It's a, it's a known fact that our school system is based on the, the Prussian shul. It's it's designed to literally to create factory workers. Uh, it's just, And that's why we have bells. That's why we have these segmented, you know, time slots we're supposed to operate in. And it's the same thing every single day. And it's it's not meant and it doesn't and it doesn't inspire creativity. It doesn't really prepare, prepare you for an independent life. I mean, I, I never heard the word entrepreneurship in school. Uh, maybe I heard someone say it, but it certainly wasn't talked about. Uh, I was We were never taught to, that one option in life would be to not go to college, not do this whole path that we've been on, because we were only really taught one path. We're taught, get good grades so you can go to a good college, go into debt with that for that and do that college. Uh, don't worry about that debt, though. You'll get a job and you'll pay it off, no problem. You'll pay it off maybe just in time to go into more debt, buy a house, uh, raise a family, and then finally around 65 years old, you can stop working and whatever happens to remain of your feeble body, you can use that, that you know, social, social security check or a 401k savings to spend a little money. And that's that's the system. We're not taught anything else. Anybody that learns something else is learning it from a parent or learning it because they just decide to break away and do it. They're certainly not learning it in school uh, where, where, you know, the idea of starting a business or just going out and traveling for a year after college, that's never brought up. It's actually seen, if, if you do bring something like that up, you're seen as a crazy person, a heretic. 
Yeah, and a lot of people, millions of people have just kind of discovered this on their own, but it wasn't easy in the whole time. I think for the first probably seven years, I was always looking over my shoulder like, am I doing this right? And I was looking at my peers from grad school. I went to business school and they all had these really important jobs. And I was just like traipsing around the world with my backpack and, you know, I would be like in the airport lounge and there would be all of these self-important CEO type people in there. And I was like, I don't fit in here. I don't fit in anywhere. Um, But now with with, uh, the remote work movement, which was forced from the pandemic, people are finally like, oh yeah, wait, what if I just worked from this house? Or what if we rented a house and shared it? Or, you know, what if our whole company never came back to the office again? And now the mainstream media is maddeningly going to CEOs of the biggest tech companies to get their perspective on remote work. And I'm like, these are the idiots who are promoting open offices like Mark Zuckerberg for decades. They're like the problem with the way corporate America is right, right. now. They're not the experts on remote work and digital nomadism. They should be calling like you from really. home. Oh, they should be talking to normal people who've been like out doing this for the past 10 or 20 years just because it made sense. But yeah, we were the outliers, but now it's becoming mainstream. So it's a good thing for everybody, but it's just like the natural organic evolution of things that was artificially held back by our societal paradigm for way too long. Like it's been possible to telecommute for 50 years and we're just now getting around to it because of a global pandemic. Like it's unacceptable. Yeah, I think that's one silver lining to this pandemic is is so many companies who are just set in their old ways for whatever reason, once they see all their people that have been working at home for three, four or five months, and maybe they're even happier, more productive, better workers, they're going to start to think, why are we paying for all this office space for people to spend two extra hours in their car, come in miserable, come in exhausted, uh, not be nearly as productive, has to have to race out of the office, especially if you're here in LA to beat traffic at a certain time when they could actually just sit at home, do way more work and you know, be way more productive, and we don't have to pay for this huge office building. And a lot of these companies are still delusional, and they think that they're going back to the office. And I'm like, you're not, because 99% of people who work from home or work remotely don't want to go back to the office, and it doesn't make sense to pay for all of this commercial real estate. And going into a, a corporate office, which I rarely did, but it reminds me of a, an extension of high school in that, that fixed public education system, it's very surreal when you've never worked in that environment and then you go to like a meeting at an office. Like I went to these big corporate offices in Austin, Texas, right before the pandemic started and it was maybe seven story building. It was like a a campus, like a college campus. And I'm like, these are adults, like successful (laughs) adults making good money and they're basically stuck in that same childhood paradigm and it's really crazy. Like people it's, need to be freed. <laughs> it's really interesting. I never really thought of it that way, but in many ways, that office campus. I mean, even where I work here, they call it a campus. You know that that mentality yeah. really is just an extension of the school system played out in real life. Because if we're not growing up from from this, because we're raised in this certain you know school system, and then that system kind of translates to college, it makes sense that everybody would kind of bring that same mentality right into the workforce. Yeah, and even if you did things the right way when that linear system worked, that factory model, like my grandparents are a great example because they were born in the 1920s. Yeah, my grandma was born in 1927. 
I know she just passed away two weeks ago. So that's why I've been like thinking about this a lot. I actually just did a podcast on life and death and all that meta stuff, but which I really want. I just listened to that episode actually just shortly before we talked. So I do want to recommend people. It's definitely a change of pace from the stuff you normally do uh, over the podcast, but it's definitely worth listening to for, for anybody and everybody. Oh, cool. I was terrified to put that out and I don't know if it's good or not, but I just put stuff out there and, you know, that's what comes through at that moment. And we'll have to see what the feedback is because it is really different from what I normally talk about, but it's all intertwined, like life and work and everything. It's philosophy, politics, everything is all wrapped together. But in that podcast, I talk a little bit about how my grandparents followed all the rules. So they went to school, they got good corporate jobs. My grandma worked for Pan Am or my grandparents both did. They uh, retired early, actually, and they had saved all of their money, so they barely spent any money. And yeah, they could just do whatever they wanted after that. But once they waited until they retired, it was like they lost that drive to do the things that they Mm -hmm. wanted to do when they were younger because they were just, I don't know, they were in their 60s. They didn't really feel like uh, skydiving off Mount Everest or or anything like that. Yeah. And and one day, it was 2009, and I was on a surf trip in Bali uh, with my best friend who was a, she was a surf instructor in Puerto Rico. We met in Florida. I went to Costa Rica, she went to Puerto Rico. And then I booked this yoga retreat in Bali. It got canceled at the last minute, but I had a plane ticket. So I'm like, hey, do you wanna go surfing? She's like, yeah, let's go. And we just ran amok for like four or five weeks through Bali. And I remember one morning we were at Changu, which is now a really big digital nomad destination. But at the time, it only had one restaurant and some cabinas. And we were eating breakfast with these like two guys, like a Brazilian surfer and a Hawaiian surfer. We had been out partying all night. We went surfing. We were having breakfast. And a tour bus came through that was like full of retired people. And I had a few different perspectives. I'm like, wow think of the experience that they're having in Bali compared to the one that we're having and how different they are. Not saying one is better or worse, but like what would like a, just walking off of a tour bus in Chenggu as we're like sitting there hungover, you know, with our like <laughs> Definitely boyfriends a of the week. Yeah. And my cousin at the time was in California doing like organizing trips for retired people. And um, so I guess maybe that's why I noticed this. And I was like, wow, like, I wonder if I come back to Bali 40, 50 years from now, like what I will think of it. And it just was one of the many experiences that I've had through my travels, just kind of like seize the day moments, like thinking these people are really cool that they like flew out to Bali and they're exploring this island. But I'm glad that I'm here now at, I think I was like 24 or 25 or something like that. I was like, I'm glad I'm having this experience. And then maybe when I'm older, I'll be ready to have a different type of experience. Maybe you'll come back on the bus someday. (laughs) Yeah. Hey there, kitty cats. I need to take a quick little break to remind you that if you love coffee and I need coffee, I need coffee to get through interviews at this point, because let's face it, I just passed 40. I need a little extra kick in my step. And I get that kick from our good friends at Lauren Zotti 
Italy. These guys have some premium coffee blends at an amazing price. You want to check them out at laurenzotti.coffee. That's laurenzotti.coffee, not .com. And what I love about these guys is that they aren't just fine coffee connoisseurs. They are also not just entrepreneurs themselves, but they are out there helping other people start their own businesses. Uh, They help people procure equipment, financing, and everything else they need to start their own coffee shops. So please do check out our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. Don't forget to use discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. Uh, Kristen, you are you're currently a digital nomad, meaning you you can work from anywhere. Your job is is you. It's you and your laptop, so you can take this anywhere you want, and, and that's really just ultimate freedom. Uh, that is kind of kind of different than what you were doing when you were just living in Costa Rica. Then you would probably be more considered of an uh, an expat at the time, someone that uh, is just kind of uh, settling in a certain country for a certain amount of time. Can you sort of expand on on some of the differences? Because I know that people that aren't you know used to this topic might hear these terms kind of bandied about and intermixed a little bit, not really understand necessarily the difference yeah that's a great question and actually the first question i get from people when they want to move to another country or they want to travel somewhere is do they have to give up their citizenship and so <laughs> if only that, you, if only it was so easy <laughs> right yeah that's it's not oh even God, an we'll option to talk really about yeah we'll have to talk about that too because yeah the u.s being one of the basically the only developed country where you can't change your tax domicile because we're based on tax by citizenship. So I do have a lot of U.S. clients, but I also have uh, clients from other countries. And I definitely thought that at the beginning, too, like I remember thinking, you know, if I live abroad for so many years, do I have to give up my citizenship and get another one? But basically, people can become expats, so expatriates, which means that they go to live in a country for it can be a determined or undetermined amount of time as long as it's not permanent. Like the big difference between an expat and an immigrant is that an immigrant usually goes to one country permanently to live there and start their lives. And an expat might go somewhere for, there's no exact definition, but it could be one month or one year or three years or something like that. So I went to Costa Rica for one year, but then I stayed. <laughs> that tends to happen too. And I just went there on my passport. I actually applied for permanent residency, but it cost me more money to get permanent residency with not really any benefits compared to if I just left the country every three months and came back in. So I just kept doing that. And then a digital nomad is somebody who can travel wherever they want. They can live wherever they want. And there's different, it's like kind of a sliding scale. Like some people are full-time nomads where they don't have any home base at all. And then other people might be a hybrid nomad where they become an expat in another country for a while and then they move. Um, or they could even be in their home country and they could be nomadic. Like they can just live in different parts of the country or they can have their home base in their home country and they can travel like a few months a year. There's really no exact definition of it. It's all perspective. But I just always say that being a digital nomad is a mindset. It means that you mentally are giving yourself the freedom to go anywhere you want at any time. And you don't really care if other people think that you're nomadic or not. You're just living life on your own terms. So yeah, they're not all mutually exclusive. Um, It's just a spectrum right now. 
What are some of the biggest myths about this uh, digital nomad lifestyle? What are some of the biggest objections that you get uh, from people out there that maybe hear what you're doing and think, oh, my God, you can't you can't live like that. You can't be just traveling around doing whatever you want. Do you get any kind of, you know, any of that feedback from people that are just maybe some of those people that are kind of trapped in the, the school system way of life, if you, if you so to speak? Yeah, I guess it goes back to when I first became nomadic. I didn't know what a digital nomad was. I just realized that I had an office in Costa Rica that I never went to and I worked from home and I was just like, why am I still living here? I I kind of had the thought I should either buy a house and make my life here or I should pack up and go somewhere else. And I thought, well, I don't have to meet my clients in person because I had set up teams in different countries because I can't be everywhere at once. So I can't be like project managing and picking people up from the airport and, you know, translating at the bank so they can open a bank account. So I had outsourced all of these things. And so I just decided to um, go travel for a year. And then I never really stopped. Well, I've kind of had home bases off and on. But um, yeah, I didn't really ask permission at that point, because that was in 2012, like January of 2012, that I became fully nomadic, or no, January of 2013. And at that point, I had been already living abroad for like over 10 years. So at that point, I didn't even really tell anyone where I was going. I just went off and then people would figure it out through looking at social media and stuff. But now, um, and I kept that pretty quiet too, because I didn't want to be like bragging or anything. But now with uh, with remote work and the pandemic, all of these countries are offering digital nomad visas so that people can live and work there for typically up to a year, quote unquote, legally. But it's really just giving an official status or label to something that people were already doing. So now I've made a, a podcast and I actually wrote an article for... Um, Mikkel Thorup, who was on your show for his Escape Artist magazine about do you even need a a digital nomad visa anyway? It just depends on which country you're from, where you want to go and how long you want to stay there. But um, there's really like most digital nomads are living in a gray area anyway, and they're not staying in a place long enough that they want to get legal status there. So for someone to say like, okay, you can stay here for a year they might not stay there that whole year anyway. So now it's basically legitimate because so many people have recognized it. But I think the real people who are drawn to the nomadic lifestyle would do it without permission anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, what would be some of the benefits of, you know, of trying to apply for one of these digital nomad visas if someone were considering, you know, doing this and working remotely in another country as opposed to just doing like what a lot of people have been doing for years, showing up on a tourist visa, setting up shop somewhere and working from their computer. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what, you know, who you're telling about that. Yeah. The first one that was announced was the Barbados digital nomad visa. And I got really excited. So I made a video about it. Uh, and then Estonia announced about a week later that they were going to do a digital nomad visa. But then once other countries jumped on the bandwagon, I realized that it was all smoke and mirrors, like the Barbados visa, I think it's a few thousand dollars to apply for it. And then you could stay there for a year, but you could just go with a passport for six months. So really, you know, leave for three days and and come back again. Yeah. um, Or go to a different Island after that, because there's a lot of islands in the Caribbean, but the Estonia visa has more value. So you got to look at it on a case by case basis. 
The Estonia visa has a lower barrier to entry. It only costs between 80 and 100 euro to apply. So you really don't have that. You don't really have anything to lose, but 100 euro, you'll probably get approved if you meet their basic criteria. And then you can have a home base in Estonia for up to a year, which is an EU and a Schengen country. So typically... Um, you can't stay in the Schengen for more than 90 days per 180 days. So you can't just leave and come back in. You have to go to another country for 90 days before coming back into the Schengen zone, which is somewhere, I don't remember the exact number. It's upwards of like 30 European countries. So if you went to Estonia for 90 days, it could be consecutive or not. Then you could go to the UK or you could go to Eastern Europe um, Ukraine or Bulgaria or some non-Schengen country before you can go back in. So with that one, it's good because you could actually stay there without leaving the continent <laughs> to renew your visa. Right. But the caveat is if you stay 183 days or more, then you uh, become a tax resident there. So you kind of still have to finagle your way around. So leave by one on day 182, goals. guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 182 days in the calendar year. So each one is has its pros and cons. Croatia has one coming out that will probably be similar to the Estonia one. I don't know if they'll tax people, but that will be a really interesting one because of Croatia's geographic position. And it's technically it's a European country, but it's not in the Schengen zone yet so you could set up a home base in Co in uh, Croatia which has a low cost of living and then you could use that as a jumping off point to go to other parts of the world and then there's countries like Georgia where they don't even have an application fee for their digital nomad visa but you can already stay there for a year anyway on just a passport so it's like you could get the official status or you could not it's all a case-by-case -case basis just based on where you want to go and what you want to do uh, yeah. Kristen, what would you say to people, maybe someone who's listening right now, who's been sort of daydreaming maybe about this lifestyle, daydreaming about hopping around the world, but there's there's always something holding them back. And maybe that's something is just, you know, maybe they, they currently have a job that it, they can't possibly do remotely. Uh, so they think, well, I can't just dive into this. Or they think, you know, my friends, my family, they're all here, but they're fascinated by it. What would you say to somebody like that in terms of for some first steps that they could take to at least maybe get the process going or dip their toe in the water and see if it really is the right life, lifestyle for them if they're currently you know in some kind of situation where they don't feel like they can just jump right out of it? Well, it depends really on on people's jobs because there are some people who are of the mindset of like just sink or swim you know buy a one-way ticket to some country with a low cost of living and then try to figure it out once you get there i like that but, idea myself <laughs> that could work i mean if the worst the worst thing that happens is you just come home with no money which <laughs> that's a possibility but at least you had an adventure i had a right. guy move to costa rica once he lost all of his money playing poker in the first two weeks. And then he went home, but he's like, this was the best two weeks of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's that. But I like the idea of having some sort of revenue stream before you go and travel full time, because it is really difficult to get your bearings in a new country and be productive at the same time, because it's Murphy's Law. A lot of stuff is going to go wrong. But you're also going to meet people. You also want to have fun. You also want to see the sights. You want to experience the place that you're in. And it's really hard to enjoy that and live in the moment when you're like, am I going to be panhandling on the side of the, <laughs> the train station to get money or to get a plane to get back or whatever? So Yeah, you don't want to show up and be it. a beggar if you can help it, preferably. Yeah, you could do it either way. You could work for yourself. You could 
um, ask your boss if you can work remotely, which I actually have a video and a blog about how to convince your boss to let you work remotely. Mm -hmm. And then you could also quit your job and get a remote job that allows you to live anywhere. And then I've also met people that have had the same job for 10 years. Their company thinks that they live in California, but they live in Japan and they just are 100% remote and they don't mention anything. So you could do that. <laughs> they just too. have to take some some calls at some really <laughs> odd times, times a day and night, probably. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like working in the middle of the night, so I wouldn't do that. But um, it, it's really, I think, the most important thing for people is to get clear on what attracts them to the digital nomad lifestyle and which aspect of it is appealing to them. Because the worst thing you can do, I think, is to start going on forums and asking other people what they're doing. It's like, what do you want to do? This is your chance to go to a country or a city or buy a van, you know, go someplace you've never been, do something you've never done and like see who you meet and what happens when you get there, but don't go somewhere because somebody on a forum said that Lisbon is the best place for digital nomads. Like just think about where you want to go and then build your life around that. And you know, how long do you want to be there and how comfortable, um, how much savings do you need as a, you know, as a cushion and just kind of start the adventure and don't care what anyone thinks and really don't even tell anybody, <laughs> like don't announce I'm becoming a digital nomad and this is what I'm doing and this is where I'm going. Like just get out there. Cause then you're going to bring out the naysayers for sure. Right. And then people will be like, Oh, where did John go? And you're like, Oh, and then you, you know, you're in Dubai, like, Hey guys, <laughs> I'm on the Dubai like, digital nomad minute. visa. I've been here for three months. It's really cool. It's great weather in the winter, you know, and they're like, well, I own a tiger now. Things are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Make it your own. Kristen, what, so one thing you're always out there doing, you know, with your, 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 uh, your writing, I know you write on medium and as well as your website, uh, and you know, with your YouTube channel, you're always trying to help people kind of find ways and find skills that they have that they might not even realize that they have, that they can then apply to a potential remote work job or just creating their own thing. And uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit before, but what are some skills that people might have out there? Like maybe someone who's just had the same job for 15 years and thinks, well, I don't have any of these kind of skills. I don't know how to do this stuff. What are some skills that a lot of people may, might realize that they already have that they're that, or might not realize that they really have that they could then take and apply to remote work or building their own, uh, you know, their own income stream of some kind. That's a great question. The biggest misconception that people have about remote work or being a digital nomad is that you have to be techie, that you have to have some tech skills or you have to have a job as a computer programmer or you need to go back to school or learn something new. And I say that most people already have the skills that they need to work from anywhere and to do any job related in their field. So I had a girl on my podcast from Kenya there's, she's like probably the first digital nomad from Kenya. Nobody was telling her that she could be a digital nomad. She got a student visa, went to the US, basically lied about her income so that she could get this student visa and then worked her ass off when she got to the US, started working in a healthcare company, got really burnt out and then quit, sat on the couch for a few months eating chips and drinking beer is what she told me. And then she built her own freelancing business, teaching people CPR online. Wow. So she just took some of the skills from her job and applied it to like, how do I do this online? I have another girl, Marisha, coming on my show. She was a yoga teacher who did retreats. But then when the pandemic hit, she couldn't do that anymore. So she created a yoga app 
uh, hired some programmers to do that. And she also started teaching Zoom yoga classes to like women in Lebanon and different places. So any skill, um, anyone who's listening to this should know that they already have the skills to work remotely as long as you know how to use a smartphone, email, the internet, like the really basic stuff. If you can listen to a podcast like you are right now, then you probably have some skills. Totally. And so it's just about thinking first, what do you want to do? Like, what are the things in your job? Look at your job description, look at your LinkedIn profile, look at your CV, whatever, your resume. What are the things on there that you know how to do? Maybe you need to update it probably. Uh, Beef it up and then cut out all the stuff that you hate doing. Like think about what are the, the things when you go to work that you wish you never had to do again. Don't work in any of that just because you think you can make money doing it. Look at the things that you like to do whether they're soft skills or hard skills, and then triple down on those. Look for a job. If you want to get a salary, look for a remote job that is related to that skill set. Or if you want to work for yourself, I actually made a blog and a video and a podcast about all of my income streams and also how to make money online fast as like a freelancer. Just taking, just figuring out what skills do you have that can make money online and then how to get clients, even if you get like three to five clients or something like that, how to just start making money online. And then from there, you can always scale it. Like when I first learned about affiliate marketing, I think I made one cent or something (laughs) on one thing. And I was like, this is stupid. And then randomly later on, like like I made hundreds of dollars some months and thousands of dollars I got one payout once of 40 grand. And I was like, wow, my God, you know, like that went from one cent to tens of thousands of dollars. So you just never know um, where that skill is going to take you. So you don't have to see the whole map before you just take that first step, learn how to make your first dollar online and then build on that. I mean, just like with anything, at some point, you just have to do it. You know, like I was not an amazing podcast host. Some would argue I'm not now. But, I, you know, <laughs> especially when I first started, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing, hardly at all, both technically or, you know, host-wise. Uh, but at some point, I, I could only research so much. I could only ask so many other podcasters so many questions before I just had to say, okay, I have to actually do this now. And the rest, I'll just have to figure out along the way. And I think one people that one thing that people maybe get stuck on is they think, man, how am I going to replace my current salary by doing all this online stuff? But you don't really need to necessarily replace your current salary, especially where you decide to go. If you decide to check out a country, depending on where you go, good chance you're going to be able to live for a a great lifestyle on 20, 30% of what you make right now. Um, So maybe that's one thing you can speak on too, that maybe people don't always wrap their head around. Um, You know, this is something that I didn't always wrap my head around in my twenties at a young age. I was just, I always thought, Oh my God, to travel the world, I have to, I have to make so much money. I have to save up so much. And then, uh, one time a friend of mine just decided, uh, we should go to Central America for, for six weeks. So I was like, Oh, can I do that? And I started to do some research. I'm like, I guess I could actually do this. And then you travel and you realize, Oh, I can actually live so much cheaper and, and actually enjoy and, 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 you know, be introduced to new cultures, meet new people, and spend nowhere near what I would spend just sitting at home in LA. Uh, and it's, it's a mindset that's tough for people to break out, but maybe you can just kind of speak on the, the sort of different mentality that you can take towards money when you're in some of these other countries. Yeah, um, I don't own any furniture <laughs> or a car. I, I have one house, but it's an investment property that's rented out all the time. I own some land 
in like Nicaragua and stuff like that. But I don't, I didn't buy in. I guess I'm a minimalist in that way. Like I just didn't buy into that whole materialistic, like you have to have all of this debt thing. And it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was just after getting out of the country and spending all of my money on travel, like I just saw it so black and white. All of my friends would spend all their money on a $400 pair of jeans or designer sunglasses. And I was you like, that's eat a for weeks and weeks in a lot of, in a lot of places there. Yeah. That's a, or a yeah, plane like yeah. That, you can spend your money on other stuff and people would be surprised to learn that the digital nomad lifestyle or living as an expat, depending on where you go, you can live on a fraction of what you're spending now. And so the reason nomadism is so appealing is that when you don't have that monthly, um, set of expenses with your rent, your utilities, your car payment, your boat, and like all the stuff, then you have a lot more freedom. And instead of spending money on your internet contract and your water and cable and all of that, you can spend that money on hotels or whatever it is that you're doing in another place. So once people start to explore what their skills are and get more confidence in being able to learn what they need to learn and build on their skills whenever they find a hole, you know, just having that confidence to go out into the world and be like, you know what, I don't know everything, but I have enough skills to make money and support myself and I can figure out more stuff later. That's the mindset that you have to have. And then also to look at your budget and question, like, do I need to spend money on all of this stuff? Like, do I want to spend $2,000 a month on rent to live in this city when I could spend $2,000 a month and live on, live in pretty much any country in the world for my whole cost of living, you know, outside of like Sydney, Australia and a few other places. Um, and there's probably like a hundred or 150 countries where you can live on a thousand or $2,000 a month or that's before even getting into the fact that if you spend enough time out of the country, uh, most of the time anyway, uh, at least here in the U.S., you can actually avoid taxes on, on most of that money as well. Yeah. If your listeners are from non-U.S. countries, it's even better because they yeah. can legally change their tax We, we start with a handicap. <laughs> right. If you're from a non-U.S. country, not the U.S. or Eritrea, you can change your tax domicile to where you're living. So it's a residency-based tax system. So you could effectively and legally pay 0% taxes depending on where you are, what that country's tax code and laws are, where your citizenship is, and where your company is or where you're getting paid to or where you're earning money from. So you could be a British citizen who's changed their tax domicile to Costa Rica and you're living there, which doesn't tax offshore income, and you could earn your income in Panama or another country. So I'm not a tax advisor, but like uh, enough years of doing this and you figure things out. But also if you are a US citizen, at least you can qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion. You can pay less taxes. You can set up offshore companies. Like you can start to kind of use some of the things that actual corporations are doing to pay less taxes um, in the US. So there are more options there rather than let's say you're a doctor or a radiologist and you make like 500 grand a year, but you're getting a paycheck and you're getting taxed at like the highest rate for that income bracket. So you don't have as much flexibility. So just, um, 
everyone should start simple. <laughs> and then once you get in your new comfort zone, start to explore more options where you can save money, invest better, have a better quality of life, pay less taxes, and just take advantage of all the things that you didn't learn in school and that the mainstream media wasn't telling you. Listen to podcasts like this. Talk to other expats. Talk to uh, people who are doing things differently and just make up your own system that works for you. And and that's the real message here. And, and, and you know, being a digital nomad might not be for everybody necessarily, but I, I think that, you know, a lot of the, the boxes you're checking off there about, you know, freedom and you know, paying less taxes. Uh, these are all things that not just appeal to people of a libertarian bent or what have you, but they appeal to everybody because at our, at our core, everybody wants to be more free. Everyone wants to live, you know, the best life possible for, for not for everybody. Will that be a digital nomad lifestyle? But I, you know, I think a lot of people might not realize it's a lifestyle that they can try out, that they can jump into that. They might not even realize it until they, you know, take some time to realize, Oh, I do have these, these seven or eight skills right now that I didn't even think were skills. Uh, I do, have the ability to, to to move somewhere and try something new. And like I said, worst case, you come home broke, big deal. Stay with mom and dad or something. It's not the end yeah, of the world. <laughs> that's what I always said. I'm like, you know, if I ever run out of money or it doesn't work out, I can always just come back to the US and apply for a normal job. But that never happened because where right. there's a will, there's a way. And once you get used to that way of living and just being able to live on your own terms, you don't want to go back to a cubicle and I just got really lucky that I happened to study abroad and realize this at a really young age because in my first month on the job working in real estate in Costa Rica, I was only making $1,000 a month. And then once I made commissions that exceeded $1,000, I lost my salary and I was only working on commissions. So I was like working in real estate, waiting tables, teaching surf lessons, like just doing whatever I could to make money. But I was still living on less than $2,000 a month. And all of my- And you're in Costa clients, Rica. Yeah, like I lived on the beach with an ocean view in Costa Rica with a pool. And um, I had a four-wheeler to drive around on. And then my clients were all of these retired 60-something or older even 50s, like 40s, 50s and up multimillionaires who had their nest egg that they wanted to invest in real estate in Costa Rica or in development or something like that. And I was like, well, I guess I took the shortcut because I don't have that much money, but I have a really open and free lifestyle and I would rather do what I'm doing than go work for 40 years and then come back and invest a million dollars in building a house down here. And so that was just another kind of wake up call where I thought, even if you do all the right things and you end up with a really high net worth, is it worth it? Because you don't get that time back. Right. Yeah, that, that's one thing that uh, I have learned more and more as life goes on, especially with the pandemic, that time, whether it's time with your loved ones, time to do what you love in life, whatever it may be, time is, is a commodity that we highly, highly, highly undervalue in life. And I think more people need to really take that into account and realize, what am I going to do with this limited time here? Whether or not you believe we get a second chance or reincarnate or what have you uh, is not the point. We definitely get one chance in this here physical body. So you got to make the most of it. And I hope that uh, you know this conversation will inspire people to least get the wheels turning a little bit about some other possibilities of ways they can do just that. So Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been awesome talking to you. Uh, before I let you go, just you know, do a little roundup of how everybody can find you. Uh, uh, I mentioned your blog there, Traveling uh, with Kristen, the Badass Digital Nomads podcast. Feel free to plug away on anything else you got going on. 
Yeah, the major thing that I have is the podcast, Badass Digital Nomads, my YouTube channel and website, Traveling with Kristen. Um, and then if you just Google my name on Medium, you can find uh, my profile there where I write all about remote work and travel. I have a publication there called Digital Nomad Digest. And I also have some freebies that your audience can download at digitalnomadbootcamp.com so they can uh, find more information there but uh, I hope I look forward to either seeing people in the comments somewhere on videos or messages or voice messages for my podcast I love connecting with people and uh, hearing everybody's stories awesome Kristen well it's been been awesome talking to you uh, like I said I really enjoy what you're doing out there and I hope that uh, at least this conversation will get the wheels turning a little bit uh, for people who have, have been been thinking about these things uh, so uh, keep up the great work Kristen Keep on running. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kristen Wilson of the Badass Digital Nomads podcast. If you are considering remote work, becoming a digital nomad, that show is an excellent, excellent resource. I highly recommend checking it out. And I've been trying to do some different things with this program lately. You know, I had Kristen Wilson on today talking about, you know, a very non-political show, just talking about how you can find different ways uh, to work and live overseas or while traveling. And, you know, last week I had a great conversation with Pete Quinones talking about a lot of things you don't normally hear talked about on libertarian podcasts on podcasts really in general um but you know i'm talking about spirituality meditation uh psychedelics that sort of thing so i am very open to feedback i would love some feedback if you like the things that i'm doing with the show hey feel free to drop me an email mark marc at lionsofliberty.com you can of course uh conversate with us over in the lions of liberty forum just type lions of liberty forum that is our public group on facebook well it's a private group but it's open to everybody as opposed to the very very secret lions of liberty pride group which is also on facebook that is only for members of our patreon members of the lions of liberty pride you can find that over at patreon.com slash lions of liberty where we provide you with all sorts of bonus content including lately degenerate gamblers uh where brian rico and odie just have a good time talk about some gambling lines and tell a bunch of crazy crazy stories uh and especially this week you'll get to hear the last week anyway that is you get to hear the story of brian mcwilliams uh he he claims he was successfully in dunking i i have I have questions about that, but but nonetheless, he did dunk some sort of child's basketball. Uh, so you can hear all about that on Degenerate Gamblers. We also, of course, have Conspiracy Corner. Uh, the fun never ends in the Pride. Uh, another thing we'll be doing in the Pride very soon is I will be live streaming another debate with Dave Smith. This time he's going to be debating a fellow Pride member. He's de- debating Archie Flower over a little bit of a Twitter feud they've had, and uh, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that for now. Uh, you guys can check that out when the debate itself airs. I don't want to pre-frame that in any way. I want you guys to just hear the debate as is. Uh, but be sure to check that out. Just uh, one of the many, many benefits to joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. Of course, you know, you can send us money, but each and every week, you're still going to get these free shows. It's okay. We don't demand your your tribute to us. Uh, we give you three shows each and every week right here. We have the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast hosted by me every single Monday. Brian McWilliams, of course, picks things up on Wednesdays with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up on Fridays with his hard-hitting, inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Man, last week, his episode about this tornado that that hit a prison is just freaking insane. You got to check that thing out. You get all these shows for the price of one. That price is free. You just got to smack the heck out of that subscribe button so you don't miss a darn thing. Until next week, folks. Live long and live free. 
claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. And libertarians are better Democrats than the Democrats and better Republicans than the Republicans. A Republican president, a Republican-controlled Congress, presided over the biggest expansion of government up to that point in history. And what's going to happen when they realize that Social Security is nothing but a racist, sexist, ageist, Ponzi scheme? I mean, how badly do you have to screw something up before we finally conclude that uh, maybe government can't solve this problem? free market is the ultimate expression of democracy. I do the show two days a week. It's a free show. You sure you don't want to see some evidence to back up any of their claims before you get us into another war? Their entire existence is exploitative. Everything they eat, everything they drink, the roof over their heads. It was all paid for from theft at the threat of violence. Isn't it interesting that an education system run by the government somehow churns out a bunch of people who favor the government handling everything? That's the type of accounting that would get you thrown in prison if anybody else were to do it. But that's how the federal government operates. Black, white, Indian, Asian, rich, poor, short, tall, everybody benefits from freer markets. Libertarianism is principled, it's philosophically sound, in the arena of ideas we cannot be defeated. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, the voice and soul of so-called fiction. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction, download and subscribe, and no matter what happens, keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.